If you went on college campuses, they were talking about VeggieTales. If you went down to the nightclubs in Chicago, where VeggieTales came out of, you would see people wearing Larry the Cucumber t-shirts. It was an amazing phenomena. The Simpsons mentioned VeggieTales. Um, Saturday Night Live mentioned VeggieTales. Time Magazine, Newsweek, everywhere it was talked about because it was an amazing phenomenon. Go figure, talking vegetables. And so success came. And it, the company that Phil had grew to over 210 people. He drew people from Disney, from DreamWorks. They said, Phil, you're the new Walt Disney. They wanted to work with him. And things were very successful until there came a time in the company when there was division, differences of vision, some mismanagement took place. And finally, that 210 people dwindled down to just 13. And those 13 got together and they prayed and God, they said, God, this is doing such good in the world. God, just intervene. Step in, God. Redeem this situation that we find ourselves in here. But God didn't come to rescue them the way they wanted to at that moment. And big idea, the company behind VeggieTales went bankrupt. And I want to read you just a few words, Phil's words, when this was taking place. And this is what he said. Every face that had come in beaming with enthusiasm walked out the door, stained with disappointment, with tears, but a dream that had ended too soon. Incredible disappointment. And he went on to say, Everything that I built in 14 years, every story I had told, every song that I had written, every character I had created was sold at the auction. All of his creative life went under the auction block. And he said, I couldn't understand how God could just stand back from something that was doing so much good and watch it fall apart. And when it did fall apart, Phil said this, when all the leftover pieces, including my friends, were swept up and moved to Nashville by the new owners, I spent some time hurting, just hurting. Phil had a why question. And I know many of us here this morning have our why questions for God. If we go to John chapter 11, we find another why question. Three siblings, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, that Jesus loved. Lazarus was very sick and Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, come, the one you love is sick. And we know the story, how Jesus delayed. And when he finally came, Lazarus was already dead four days. And when Jesus came, Martha went out first and she said to him, Lord, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. What was she saying? What was the subtext? Lord, why? Why didn't you get here on time? If you had come here on time when we asked you to come, this would never have happened. And Mary went out and she began to ask Jesus the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, this would not have happened. And of course, we know Jesus delayed because of the glory of God. We know that he delayed because he was going to raise up Lazarus from the dead. But Mary and Martha had no idea about that. All they felt was that Jesus had let them down and they had a big why question. Again, I say this morning, many of us have why questions. Do you have a why question? Something happened Maybe it was a dream that you had, a hope that you had. Maybe it was something that God gave you, a, a vision for something as to how you might serve him. And it seems like it's been delayed. And you've waited, and you've waited, and you've waited, and you've put everything else aside, and you've waited and believed. And even today, as you sit here, it hasn't happened. Scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And there are many heart-sick people because they had a hope, they had a dream, and it didn't come to pass. Not yet, anyway. And then there are dreams that fail. I think one of the great things uh, in, uh, that I observe in Christian mission organizations, and I've gone to many huge conferences around the world where we talk about the great things that God has done and God is doing, and I thank God for that, but you know what? I have to honestly say, I've never heard a leader stand up in one of those great mission conferences and say, we failed. We had a vision and it failed. No, we, we hide our failures and we just want to talk about our successes. But all of us fail, whether it's in ministry, in our personal lives, there's failure. And failure is not the end of the world. But sometimes that we think it is. But then what happens when a dream dies? It's gone, dead, finished, kaput. How do we deal with that? It's like losing a loved one. We go through a grief process. But how do we come out of these things? How do we respond to failure? How do we respond to disappointment in our lives? Because the way we respond will ultimately affect our destiny in God. I want to share a very painful story with you this morning that involves myself. When I came to Canada many years ago, I had a dream to have a ministry that would disciple young people from around the world, help them to grow in their relationship with God, to send them out around the world to present the gospel. That dream came true in the early 80s. And I was the director of a campus of 43 acres, 95 staff, Hundreds of students who came literally from all over the world to learn to walk with God, and we sent them out to over 60 nations of the world. Everything was going wonderfully well, and we felt as a leadership that God spoke to us that we were to sell our property, and we were to build a new one, purpose designed for the vision. And we sold our property, multiple millions of dollars. And we bought another facility that we were going to develop, multiple millions of dollars. The problem was our property didn't sell. 
Even though we had a deal where they put quarter of a million dollars in escrow that was non-refundable, they defaulted and defaulted and defaulted. And finally, they went to the courts and they tied, up us, tied us up in the courts for six months. And we weren't allowed to sell our property to anybody else. And at the end of that six months, the economy had fallen out of the bottom of Canada. Our, our property was worth very little. And we bought a top dollar. And we struggled for several years for God to redeem that situation. We tried to carry two multi-million dollar properties while we continued the ministry. One of the hardest days of my life was to stand up in front of all the staff who had literally come from around the world to be a part of this vision and to say to them, the dream has died here. We no longer can continue the vision in this place. You know, I have been a Christian since I was 12 years of age. But when this happened, everything in me was shaken. I began to wonder whether I'd ever heard the voice of God before. You see, because we felt that we'd really heard God. And in my life, I've heard God many times and stepped out in faith and God has been there. And now it, it seemed like he'd turned his back on me. So I began to think, well, maybe I've never heard God's voice before. Maybe it was all my imagination. And I cried out to God and I said, God, just whisper in my ear. God, if you tell me this is of you, if you tell me that you were in this, Lord, that's okay. Just whisper in my ear. Silence. Absolute silence. And the only thing that I could hold on to was God's revelation of who he is. God's word said that he was good, that he was trustworthy, he was just that his purposes towards me were to give me a future and a hope. And all I had was to hold on to those things that I knew God was because I couldn't find him, I couldn't hear him, I couldn't understand why he had not come to rescue our situation because just like VeggieTales, it was impacting the world in a major way. We all have questions. And sometimes I have found when I meet people who loved God but have walked away from Him, you know what I discovered? I discovered that they walked away from Him when they felt He had let them down. When they were disappointed. When their church, their pastor, had somehow hurt them or let them down. Where, where friends had let them down and they had disappointment. And they decided, that's it. I'm walking away from God's people. I'm walking away from God Himself. How do we deal with disappointment in our lives? I want to read a few verses from Hebrews 11 that deeply impacted me after that situation. And I want to share these with you and I want to dive into them a little bit this morning and have a look at them because I think they can help us understand how we deal with failure, how we deal with disappointment. Let's have a look at these few verses. Each one of these people of faith, now Hebrews 11, as I'm sure you know, is just full of people of faith who walked with God, who did amazing things, heroes of the faith. And this is what it says about these heroes of the faith. Each one of these people of faith died, not yet having in hand 
what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. Next. Next one. By faith, Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptian royal household. He valued suffering in the Messiah's camp far greater than Egyptian wealth because he was looking ahead, anticipating the payoff. He had his eye on the one no eye can see, and he kept right on going. Not one, next one, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us, that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete, apart from ours. Do you know what st stuck out to me when I looked at, at those verses? And it was verse 13. And it says this, each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, yet still believing. How do they do it? How do we not receive the hopes and the promises that we feel are going to happen and still get to the end of our lives and still believe and still love God and still trust God? That's what I want to look at, but as I do that, I want to just look for a few seconds at Moses, one of these great heroes of the faith. We know how he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He molded a bunch of slaves into a nation. And we know about their grumbling and their complaining and their rebellion. And I'm sure during those times, the only thing that kept Moses, other than his faith in God, was that he knew that he was heading to the promised land. One day we're going to get to the promised land. And what happened when they got to the promised land, where they were in uh, reach so close God speaks to Moses, and he says, Moses, go up the mountain with me. And he goes up Mount Nebo, and God says, look, there's the promised land. But Moses, you're not going to set foot in it. What? You mean I've gone through these 40 years in the wilderness with this bunch of grumbling people, and you're not going to even allow me to step foot in the promised land? Surely, God, that's not right. God, that's not fair. I mean, that's what kept me going all these years. Is that what he said? No. He said to the people of Israel in a song, he recited their history. He exhorted them to be obedient to God. He encouraged them in the promised land to not rebel, but to walk with God faithfully. He even called up the new leader, Joshua, the next generation leader who was equipped better than Moses to go into the promised land. And he calls forth this leader, the one maybe he thought that he would be going into the promised land. And he lays hands on Joshua and he blesses him. Does that sound like a leader who's bitter and twisted and angry and questioning God even at the moment of great disappointment on Heartbreak Mountain? And then there's David, the shepherd boy, become king. And we know how that he conquered Jerusalem and he made his home there, a beautiful home. But then he said, well, this is not right. 
How can I have this great home and look and see the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence dwells? It is living in a tent. I need to build a house for the Lord. And so he has this dream. He has this vision that he's going to build a house for the Lord. And what happens? Even the prophet comes and says, David, do it. Do it. But you know, prophets get it wrong sometimes too. And God said, you go back to him and you tell him he's not to build that house. It's going to be his son who will build it for me. David had a vision and a dream, and yet he had to let it go because God said, no, it's the next generation that's going to build that for me. It's going to be your son, Solomon, who's going to do it for me. Does David get angry and bitter and say, that was my vision? No. It says he prepared, he made plans, he got workmen, he got the materials, but he said, God's house must be majestic, it must be glorious in the nations. Therefore, I will do everything I can so the next generation, my son, can build it for the glory of God. You see, he wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't even thinking of his times. God said that he fulfilled God's purposes in his generation. He was thinking of God's glory. He was thinking beyond his lifetime. He was thinking about the future, and he laid preparation for what God would do after he was gone. And that leads us into some of the things I believe that are going to be helpful as we look at these scriptures. And the first one is this, and we'll put it up on the screen, if I can keep my thing on here. seems to be wanting to fall off. All right. The first one is this. I believe they were able to die, not having fully entered into the promises of God, because they had a perspective. They saw it way off in the distance. They waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. You see, they knew the promises. They saw the promises. The message here says they waved at it, but they accepted the fact that they were passing through. They were going to live maybe 70 years or more or less, but they were just passing through, and they recognized that God's picture, God's perspective was much bigger than them, much bigger than their lifetime. Today we live in a me generation. It's all about me. It's about my life. It's about maybe my ministry. It's all centered on me. But you know what? It's not about me. And it's not about you. It's about God's story and it's about God's glory. And if we don't get the perspective, the right perspective, and live our lives in accordance to that, then we're going to miss what God has for us. I did a show called De Yuma. Many of you probably know the story of the five missionaries, uh, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, uh, who died seeking to reach a Stone Age tribe with the gospel. They were all killed. And the world just said, how crazy. What a waste of life. But God did extraordinary things and amazing things after the death of those men. And I put that on the stage. And we were traveling throughout the United States, and we were in Chicago. And one evening when we finished the show, a young couple came up to me, and they were just weeping and weeping. And I said, what's the matter? What's wrong? And they said, we're Wycliffe Bible translators. And God called us to translate the Bible into the language of a tribe in Papua New Guinea. And so we trained 
and we went there. And I have two young girls. And he said, we went there and we began the work there. And I was sitting in my office and suddenly the natives burst in and they grabbed me and took me out into the village square and they tried to stone me to death. And I, God protected me and I escaped and I, I went back to, to my office and I barricaded myself in and they came after with me with machetes and they tried to cut me to pieces. And he said, that was three weeks ago. We've been back in the United States three weeks and we've been struggling. We've been saying, God, you called us to do this and, and yet if we go back, we're probably going to die. And we've been struggling. And, and I said to my wife, let's just relax tonight. Let's go out and see a show. And he said, I came out to see your show, and I want to tell you it wasn't very encouraging. <laughs> Five missionaries speared to death, not what we wanted to hear tonight. But he said, I want to tell you something. Tonight, we have made the decision to go back because we have seen afresh God's eternal perspective. That night, they had seen the big picture. They had seen God's perspective. And when they saw God's perspective and God's call upon their lives, there was nothing that they could do but say, Lord, we're going to go back. We're going to trust you with our lives. We are just passing through. But God, you have the big picture. You have the big story. You have the big perspective. And if you're calling us back, we're going to go back whether we live or whether we die. You see, sometimes we're so busy in the little day-to-day -day things that we forget the big picture. In ministry, sometimes we're so busy in the day-to-day -day things that we forget what it is God's called us to do. We need to continually be looking at the big picture, God's perspective, and understand our place and our role in God's purposes. The second thing, the second reason why I believe that they died still believing was they understood partnership. God had a better plan for us, that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete without ours. You know what? We're all part of the same story. Their faith is not complete without ours all these centuries and millennia later. Our faith in God today is not complete without theirs. You see, we're all part of the same story. One of the things that happens in England, uh, it probably happens other places too, but where I've noticed it the most is when you go to church in many of the old churches, you have to walk through the graveyard. And say, so, well, that's, that's a pretty strange thing to have to do. We've got a photograph here that I took when I was there recently. Someone coming into church, walking through the graveyard. Can you see there's actually a tombstone right at the door? And you think, what? I mean, what sense does that make? It made great sense to the people who designed these churches because it was no accident for them. They wanted everybody who came to church to walk through the graveyard. Why? Because they wanted them to remember that there was a great cloud of witnesses that they were part of. And that when they were going to worship God on that particular Sunday morning, they were not on their own. There were those who had gone before them, that great cloud of witnesses, and they were joining their worship and their praise to God with those who had gone before. 
We're not on our own. We don't worship and serve God in a vacuum. We're part of a much bigger ongoing story. And you know what? We stand on the generation that went before us. We stand upon their shoulders. We can do the things that we can do today. We can meet in this church today, in this building, because of those who went before, who had the vision for it. And we stand on their shoulders. And if we're faithful, the next generation will stand on our shoulders. We're all part of the same story. And Mother Teresa, when she was asked about success, how she judged success in her work with the dying on the streets of Calcutta, you know what she said? God didn't call me to success. He called me to faithfulness. And God wants us to be faithful. And if we're faithful, the next generation will follow on after us. They'll stand on our shoulders. They'll move God's story along further, God's great redemptive story. We've often heard those words, maybe at funerals. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. The words of Jesus were not good and successful servant. Enter into your rest. They were enter into your rest, good and faithful servant. God calls us to faithfulness. And if we're faithful, then others will continue on after us. And the other thing that I see here is this. There is no room for competition. Churches, you know, fighting each other for members. There's no place for competition. If we're all part of the same story, we should be praying for the blessing and, and success of all churches, all people in the kingdom of God. My failure. Can we say this? Lord, I failed. But God, it hurt when I failed. But Lord, would you take my failure and would you make my failure the seedbed for somebody else's success? You see, you can't say that unless you've died to yourself. You can't. You can't pray that the church down the road will be blessed more than yours if you have not died to yourself, you see, because if you haven't died to yourself, you're the one who wants to be successful. You're the one who wants the bigger church. And you see, there's so much self and selfishness in our life and our walk with God. VeggieTales, when Phil, we left him hurting, this is what he said. After it all failed, God began to speak to him. And he said this, I realized that my good work had, been, had become an idol that defined me. My ambition, my dreams, my misplaced sense of identity was all dragged kicking and screaming to the altar. And now they were dead. See, God showed him that his identity, his value was all wrapped up in veggie tales. It had become an idol. And it all had to be let go. It all had to be crucified. It all had to go to the cross. And it had to die. We are not on our own. We're part of a much bigger story. And we're part of the same story. There's no place for competition as we seek to serve God and reach out into our world. Thirdly, perseverance. It says Moses persevered 
but God, he's had his eye on the one no eye can see, and he kept right on going. I've got some friends who've written all sorts of books on modern heroes of the faith. You know, they said they've learned one thing after looking at all these people and researching their lives. They all were human. They all had failures. They all had struggles in their marriage. They failed, but they got up and they got on with what God had called them to do. And when they failed, they got up and didn't lie on the ground and moan and complain. They got up and they went on. And when they failed and they fell down, they got up and they went on. And they said to me, the one thing that comes through is perseverance. They persevered. And I believe we need to persevere, even when we don't understand what is going on in our lives. Even though we're dealing with disappointment, we need to have our eyes fixed on Him, not our circumstances. It's easy to be focused on our circumstances, but to get our eyes off of that and get them focused on Him and keep them fixed on Him and persevere in what He has called us to do. Fourthly, they were aware of the presence of God. Moses answered, God, but why me? What makes you think I could ever go to Pharaoh? I will be with you, God said. What's the context of this? Moses meets God at the burning bush, and they have this encounter. And God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses responds, what, me? I mean, who am I to go to Pharaoh? God says, totally wrong question, Moses. It's not about you. It's about me. I'm going 